right, well, let's go ahead and get started tonight. Um, let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll get into um, the lesson and get into um, talking a little bit more about repentance and uh, some of that restoration process that is uh, so vital um, in uh, in uh, the change to make it uh, something that is uh, permanent um, and, uh, again, biblical and scriptural. So let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll get going. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you again for the time that we have. Thank you again, Lord, for opportunity to come learn from you, to hear um, uh, scripturally, Lord, how we can make those changes in our lives um, according to your will, according to your power, and according to your might. And uh, Lord, uh, pray you just guide us this evening. Um, just uh, give me strength to uh, um, deliver what you have for all of us. I pray our hearts are all ready and receptive to receive. And Lord, I just again thank you again for that shed blood that you gave uh, so willingly for us. And Lord, that resurrection where we can have that eternal life that even just makes bringing this together possible. And Lord, I pray these things and ask them in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so um, we had uh, obviously talked uh, uh, a bit about this issue of repentance, uh, talking about um, God's specific stance on them, uh, or on it and, uh, what he desires. Um, there's obviously, uh, a process that involves it. And, uh, I want us to go back to the book of James, uh, James, uh, 218 again to, to kind of emphasize, uh, the, the, uh, principles that we've already, um, some of the principles we've already discussed. Uh, get out a little bit of a definition of repentance. Uh, Mike Nemeth named, uh, uh, or quoted a verse the other day that Paul was talking to the Thessalonians about, uh, turning, uh, to God, the Gentiles turning to God. And, and that is one of the key things that I want to emphasize. Uh, when we talk about repentance, it's, it's not just some sort of change of mind or change of, uh, direction. And, uh, and, and I dare say sometimes a lot of people will focus on this idea of, that the change is to turn away from the sin. Um, and if that is the object, then the repentance is not understood. Uh, to really truly understand repentance, we have to understand that it is a turn towards God. And in the process of turning towards God, we are turning away from the sin. So it has to be that desire, the overarching desire, not to just, if you will, do away with sin, but to please God, to seek him, to seek his face. And then uh, James chapter um, uh, 2 and uh, again, uh, verse 18, it says here, Yea, a man say, uh, yea, a man say, may say, thou hast faith, and I have works, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And this is a key important component of repentance is obviously faith is going to be there. Uh, uh, charity has to be present. Uh, hope has to be present. Um, that, uh, that uh, uh, grace from God must be there as well. But one of the key things that we see with this is that when we start talking about uh, uh, repentance, there, there's a demonstration. And we talked a little bit about some things with Judas, and, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll kind of uh, hit that a, a little bit again, but I, I just want to make note of this. 
that uh, repentance encompasses the following, if you will, sub-steps with it. Uh, there's obviously the confessing the sin to God, um, which is, again, that outwardly expression of, uh, of uh, uh, um, godly regret, if you will, um, that we talked about over there in, uh, if you go to Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 7, we'll get there in just a minute, uh, there is a seeking of forgiveness. That is part of uh, the uh, first step to remedy the actual situation. Uh, there is the forsaking the sinful way, which again is uh, another step in the remediation, the reconciliation and restoration process, and beginning to uh, have an alternate, uh, uh, you know, if you will, a new way of life that is pleasing to God. This is this is the stuff that has to be present in that. And what James is talking about here, obviously, in this passage, he's, he's, he's saying, if you're going to have some faith, you have, there's a demonstration of it. And that matches up very clearly with what goes on over there in Hebrews chapter 11, where it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. All of those things that we saw those individuals do were demonstrable. Uh, they believed and obeyed. They believed and obeyed throughout that. And if we go over to 2 Corinthians, and let's go ahead and, and head over there uh, again one more time, uh, 2 Corinthians, we, we've often talked about this, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 7 in verse 9, he says, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but ye sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner. He might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So he, he points out there is two ways to use sorrow. There is a worldly sorrow, there's a godly sorrow. That godly sorrow is to, uh, if you will, trigger a response, an emotional response that is to draw you near to God. Uh, when something happens, something that occurs, we are, uh, we, we have that immediate, uh, response of, oh man, you know, I, I just messed up, uh, you know, I'm so sorry. Th- there's a godly way to respond with that. And, and he makes it very clear here, you know, obviously his case wasn't to, to go around and, and try to browbeat them into this, but they sorrowed to repentance, which is what's supposed to happen. In a situation where there's sin that's involved, there must be a sorrow towards repentance. If that sorrow isn't there, then, you know, obviously there's a few steps that have been missed about uh, the rebuke, the reproof, the conviction, and the confession part. But what we wind up seeing is that in this passage, God clearly points out, saying that as godly sorrow works repentance... It's going to do something in our life. There's going to be a change. There's going to be something that, that that we shouldn't be turning away from after we do it. And and I like this verse ten because it makes it very clear that it's not something that we're going to just go around and turn and walk away from. And and again, we talk about fruits meet for repentance, and that's what God wants to see in our lives. He wants to see us actually do something that that, that clearly shows that we have been repentant in nature. Let's go over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, 
And uh, here in verse 5, he's talking to the church at Ephesus. And uh, he's got some good things to say about Ephesus, and he he has uh, some specific things that he's pointing out that they have done that uh, uh, are 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 problematic. And we'll start with verse one. It says, "Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things that saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how." Uh, thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. I mean, this sounds like a pretty good start. But we get to verse 4, and he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left, left thy first love. They were doing it, but they were kind of doing it in a bit in a pharisaical manner. They're saying they were doing it for God, but obviously uh, they weren't doing it for him. And he says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I come to thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Now obviously there's a a lot of doctrine that's just mentioned right in there and some people will try to justify that as a loss of salvation but that's not what this is talking about in any remote uh, case because he's talking to a group he's talking to a specific uh, church in a certain area <clears throat> but one thing that's very clear is he's saying i want you to remember where you came from and that alone should drive a person to repentance so when a person is in, entering into that sorrow part and they remember from where they came they remember how low in the gutter they were. They remember exactly where uh, they were um, when, uh, you know, salvation was was uh, was offered. They remember uh, exactly, you know, the 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 mess that they were in, the the un- the, the unforgiven sins and and the, if you will, the path straight to eternal damnation. <clears throat> He says, you know, when you remember that, he says, and repent, and repent. But he also makes sure, he says, and do the first works. So the things that you were doing, I want you to keep doing those, but we need to do them for the right reason. And this church wasn't doing things for the right reason. And what they had to do was they had to repent from that and turn to God and do exactly what they were doing for the Lord, not for anyone else. And that becomes a, that becomes a great issue because people can repent for themselves. We, we, we talked about all that over there in Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. Uh, just, you know, look at that again. We find that, uh, uh, in Matthew 27, we find, uh, Judas repenting. He repented. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 3. It says, and when Judas, when he had betrayed him, saw that he was condemned, repented himself. And we talked about this. He repented, you know, because he felt bad. This isn't exactly what he had planned. It wasn't going exactly the way he had intended it. But he was still greedy. He was still a thief. He was still somebody that allowed the devil to come into him. And... He makes it very clear here that, you know, as he's, uh, as he's repenting, he, he, he's trying to, to undo what he's done. And sometimes that's what happens when we get to this repentance that is not godly. 
sorrow that is not godly, worldly repentance, worldly sorrow, uh, um, things that, that are not repented the way that God desires it to be. Uh, we try to undo it ourselves. He thought that he could bring the 30 pieces of silvers back, uh, 30 pieces of silver back and buy Jesus Christ back. Well, first and foremost, you can't buy the Savior. You can't buy repentance. And you can't buy good feelings. And you can't pay away sin in such a way. He had a stark reality. And the result is, is obviously, as we saw last week, he, he hung himself. Turn over to the book of Hebrews. And let's see this again. Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12. And if we jump over to verse... Uh, <clears throat> Oh, let's take a look at verse 16. Well, let's look at verse 15 to kind of get some context here. Or verse 14, excuse me. It says, follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail from the grace of God. The same root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and hereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornication or profane person, as Esau, who hath for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. He found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He couldn't undo it. He couldn't undo it. And many times this is what people think that the repentance is about. Undoing what they've done. Repentance isn't a time machine. It's not going to undo what has happened occurred that sin has been committed you, you, that's that that's it you get to live with it for the rest of your life uh if you will um uh, want to focus on it for the rest of your life but with jesus christ there's forgiveness of sins praise god for that we don't have to think on it as his forgiveness clearly shows what it is East is west, uh, or chooses to remember it no more. I mean, the list goes on of, of how he describes what the forgiveness of our sins looks like to him. So when we start thinking about this process and we think about what God's doing here with this passage, he's saying, look, you know, Esau afterwards, after he realized that he wasn't going to get something, man, he cried. Was it godly sorrow? Many times that's what some sorrow is. That's what tears is. It's, you know, it's just regret. There's a big difference between regret and repentance. There's a big difference. People can regret what they do, but repentance is what God is asking for. Turn to Him. Turn to Him. And I guarantee you, a person that lives in regret and regrets that sin, while they say they're trying to turn from the sin and turn from God, they're still playing around with it. They're still mulling it over in their head. They're still thinking about it. That's not something that God has asked us to do. And we'll get to that when we start talking about that forgiveness stage. Especially when it starts coming to restoration. 
But what we find here is we find that Esau couldn't find it. He couldn't find it no matter how hard he searched. And again, it goes back to that 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. What type of sorrow is it going to be? He had sorrow. Judas had sorrow. But it wasn't godly. It wasn't godly. It didn't bring them to the right place. It didn't bring them to where they needed to be. Because again, when we start talking about, uh, um, you know, in this relationship of, uh, of repentance with man and sin. Now, obviously, repentance can talk about several different things. We've, we've kind of seen some uh, areas where it's referred to some things um, a little bit different. But let's talk about repentance in context of mankind and sin that has been committed. You know, there has to be those things of the confession, the forsaking, and and, and changing of that lifestyle in order for it to be a a true repentance that God uh, um, is pleased with. And think about this. And here comes one of the most important parts. Let's go over to the book of Jonah one more time because, you know, it's again, it's always a good book to to take a look at when it comes to repentance. And um, we see them here in verse 5. This is in ch- of chapter 3, Jonah chapter 3. So the people of Nineveh believed God. And proclaimed to fast and put on sackcloth for, uh, from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word of the king of Nineveh, uh, he, and he rose uh, from thence and laid uh, his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And caused it to be proclaimed and published through uh, Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor uh, herd nor flock uh, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. And why is all of that? We, he, he, he's wanting to, 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 to clearly show not only is he sorrowful for what he's doing, but he's wanting to repent because in verse 10 he says, uh, excuse me, in verse 9, he says, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from this fierce anger that we perish not? And God says, you know, you know, here, here are these individuals that repented and, and he has asking Jonah, really, you're going to be angry about them? You're going to be angry about those individuals that, 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 that made a decision? But one of the key things that I want to focus on with the Ninevites is this. The Ninevites, and this is one of the most important parts about repentance, it came down to the word of God. Were they going to believe it? Were they going to believe it? Repentance without the word of God being used is not godly repentance. We first started talking about this. We made it very clear that in order to have real change in our lives, in order to have real uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, differences take place for the glory of God, the word of God must be present at every step, including this. So we have to begin to say, okay, well, I, I need to know how to turn to God. I need to know where to turn to God in my life. I need to know w- what actions are required. 
I need to know all of these things in order to do exactly what God wants me to do, which is, again, to begin that godly way of life, to turn towards him, a life that pleases him, forsaking all of the other sin that's there, seeking that forgiveness from those that have been wrong, primarily, first and foremost, God, and also making sure that we're, you know, that that confession is, is, is legitimate and true. I have sinned. I have sinned. Turn over to uh, Luke chapter 3. Uh, Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3 and in... uh, um, Yeah, Luke chapter 3, um, here it starts talking about uh, John the Baptist's ministry. Um, and in verse uh, 3, it says, And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. A little bit different than what we do today, but there's uh, there's a context behind it. Um, again, you know, the the message that uh, that John the Baptist preached and the one that Jesus Christ preached, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven was repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there's a there, there's a distinct you know doctrinal difference between kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. But as he goes through all of this, we get down here to uh, verse seven. Then he said to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children of uh, unto Abraham. This is a very unique verse. This is a very you know interesting verse when we start looking at what uh, what uh, John's saying. John's saying, Don't think so highly of yourself that you're from Abraham, because God can change those stones into sons of Abraham like that. Well, talk about gender changing. <laughs> I mean, you know, right there, I mean, God it can change a stone. I mean, it's it's an amazing thing to understand what God can do. But part of the problem was, and what keeps people from repentance, is pride. Yeah. And this is why he's mentioning us here. He says, look, you need to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. But he's, he's saying, look, the thing you have to do is you can't sit there and say, well, you know, hey, you know, I, I'm, you know, I got Father Abraham, so I'm good. I'm a Jew. It's good. I'm good. There, there are some people that believe just because the nation of Israel is the nation of Israel and that they're Jews that they're automatically going to be saved. No, 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 no. Um, the, the, the salvation that God talks about with them is, uh, is, is, is a bit different when we're talking about uh, towards the end times. But I will tell you this, right now, if a, if, if a person that is a ascetic Jew or uh, anybody that is Jew, whether it's a light Jew or, you know, however they want to call themselves, uh, you know, and they're involved in Judaism, uh, that, will, that will not save them. That's a, that's a religion of works. It's a religion of works. 
And uh, God makes it clear, saying that they are going to die in their sins if they do not receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Over and over and over and over again. And that tore Paul's heart apart. It really tore his heart apart, according to the book of Romans. But what we find here is, is John is saying, look, you know, we've got to be careful because that, that pride is going to keep us from that repentance. And it's going to keep us bringing forth the fruit of repentance. Because here's the key important part of repentance. If repentance is going to be godly and it's going to be done in a godly manner, it's going to bring forth a specific kind of spiritual fruit. Some people will want to repent, but then they'll do, you know, whether it's passive-aggressive or however they do it or something of that nature where it's, you know, it's an apology that's not really an apology but a backhanded compliment, you know, whatever it may be. Try to stuff something in there that just doesn't even make sense, and you're like, I'm not even sure what that was, but I'm not even sure I can accept that as an apology. The apologies. Well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Well, I'm sorry that you were offended. That's, no. That's not the type of stuff we're talking about. That's the type of stuff that God wants us to avoid. Because here, they weren't being sorry for their sins. They weren't being sorry for their stubbornness, their hard-heartedness, their rebellion against God, and their pride. They were just lifted up because, hey, we're of, we're, we're of the seed of Abraham. John chapter 8 covers what God, uh, what Jesus Christ said to them in the end of that. And he says, you're not of your father Abraham. He says, you're of your father the devil. It makes it clear that their, their heart was devilish and satanic in nature because of what they were doing. But you jump down here to verse 9, and he says, And now also the axe is laid unto every root of the trees, Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not, uh, uh, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to, to him that hath none, and, and he that hath meat, let him do likewise. And then also came publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And they said unto him, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. I like that last part. That's really important nowadays. <laughs> I don't know if you've been watching some of the drama that's been coming out of Twitter, but a lot of the software engineers are crying and, and they're upset because, you know, they now, you know, their 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 four hour work week has been interrupted because there's an expectation of them to actually work now. <laughs> and it's like, wow. You have to lay off that many employees. It just tells you how bloated the company was and how overvalued the company was. That's a problem. But anyways, moving off from that soapbox, he makes it very clear here. He says, and I want you to see this, with every one of these cases, he says, I want you to do something different. I want you to change. You got a coat? Give it to someone else. What were they doing? They were being selfish and holding it for themselves. The publicans, he's saying, don't, don't be taking, you know, skimming off the top. Don't steal. 
Uh, he talks to the um, to the soldiers, and uh, you know they're beating people up. They're being the thugs. Uh, they're accusing people falsely, and they're you know mumbling and grumbling about their uh, what they're getting paid. Discontent, malcontent. You know what God says about all of that? He says, I don't want you doing that anymore. I want you to do the godly thing. What's the godly thing? Who's your neighbor? Care for them. Don't steal. Do that which you're, which is right. Don't be a person that's, you know, obsessed with and, and, and compelled to violence and, and just a general liar and, and unthankful. All of these things require a change. And he says this is the fruit of repentance he wants to see. Where the Pharisees are saying, ah, we're good, we're of Abraham. We don't have any problem. Well, the multitude's saying, well, we got a problem. The publicans are like, we got a problem. The soldiers are like, we got a problem. Each one of them are asking, what shall we do? What shall we do? They wanted to know what that was. So there's a distinct change that we see in this, that we see the after effects of what repentance does. It should make those changes in a person's life. Go to 1 Corinthians. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll kind of uh, wrap up the subject here of repentance a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15. <coughs> Pardon me. 1 Corinthians um, uh, 15, um, we get to a, a verse that um, yeah, I think is, is applicable to this situation. In verse 33. It's a verse that should be very well known, should be memorized. Be not deceived. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And a lot of times, exactly what the the uh, the Pharisees were doing um, is they were using words, the, if you will, corrupt communication in their own hearts, communing among themselves of like, "Well, we're okay, we're good." Instead of asking, "What do we do?" Instead of going to God and saying, "What do we do?" God, how do I change? And the end result is is the mannerisms that they began to exhibit were contrary to Christ, contrary to God, contrary to the Word of God. So we see very clearly here that this is part of that, what we talked about with that radical amputation, there there has to be an abandonment. It cannot be continued to mold around, be mold around in our hearts the way that the Pharisees were doing. That repentance wasn't real repentance. And they came they came to the baptisms... But they were not turning to God. They were not turning to God. So I want to talk a little bit about this issue of, uh, with a reconciliation, this, this concept of restoration. And I want to take a look at uh, two very familiar passages. And let's go to Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. And this is, this is again part of the repentance process because if you're truly repentant, and you're seeking to do God's will uh, in it, God will reveal to you that there are certain things you need to make right. 
He's going to show you what you need to undo uh, scripturally. And what I mean undo scripturally, I'm talking about um, uh, restoring those relationships, reconciling with one another. Uh, in uh, <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 5, uh, obviously we have uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, he starts uh, talking uh, about all of these things that individuals are supposed to do. And um, I, I want to get to this uh, this point in verse 21, where he says, You have heard that it was said by them of old uh, time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka and shall be, uh, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, there, there's a lot to, to go through with that. I'm not going to focus on the doctrine of that right now because I want us to go down a little bit further and look at an application for us. He says, therefore, if thy bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave thy gift before the altar, go thy way, and be reconciled to thy brother, and then come again and offer thy gift. You know, here's a principle that's supposed to happen. If you realize that you've offended somebody, God just said it is your obligation to go make it right. your obligation to go and, and, and be reconciled. And we'll, and if you don't, there's a huge implication that it's going to affect the way that you come to God. He's saying, look, just leave your gift. That sacrifice isn't that important. What's more important is to make sure you got everything straight with your brother. That is the greater principle. That is the greater principle. We also find over in Matthew chapter 18, you know, a kind of, if you will, a parallel on the other side of the fence, if you will. On the other side of the fence, uh, we we see in Matthew chapter 18, (coughs) excuse me, in verse 15, it says, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go, tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. If he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. And in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, then tell it to the church. And if he neglect to hear the church, let, it be, uh, uh, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. He makes it very clear, you know, at some point in time, you cut it off. If somebody's just unwilling to to acknowledge the sin and unwilling to uh, come to God, unwilling to get into this reconciliation process, uh, then it, when, when confronted with uh, that reproof and the rebuke part, they're unwilling to receive conviction and they're unwilling to confess. At some point in time, there's just, you got to walk away from them. You got to walk away. And that's a hard thing to do, especially if it is a brother or sister in Christ. But Paul said, you know, there are certain ones that get to, turned over to the destruction of the flesh. There are certain ones that are turned over to Satan um, um, for that purpose because they refuse to uh, repent of the sin. They refuse to, to make that corrective action. 
So this is where it comes fairly serious that if somebody comes to you and says, hey, you offended me. Now, look, I'm not talking about something simple offense, a simple offense, okay? I'm not talking about, uh, you know, you, 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 you know, some of the ridiculous stuff that we've got today. I'm talking about some pretty serious things. Because there's a lot of stuff that, that the Bible talks about, suffer yourself to be defrauded. You know, there's certain things that you just like, okay, really, yeah, that's not that important. Am I going to create more of a stumbling block? You know, Mike was talking about it the other day. You know, I don't like the color of the carpet. I don't like the color of the chairs. I don't like the color of the walls. I don't like the color of whatever. I don't like the coffee they serve. I don't like, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, the way that uh, the preacher looks at me when, uh, when he shakes my hand. I, you know, I, 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 I don't like his beard. I don't like, what, you know, whatever. Okay. I'm not talking about this. There's certain things that we have to grow up on. Okay. Well, we're talking about a serious offense here. We're talking about a trespass. Sin. Sin. And God wants it, you know, very well made known that there should be a reconciliation process on both parties. And this is what I'm getting at. Reconciliation cannot occur unless both are invested into it. Unless both desire it. It just can't happen. If one party is like, no, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm just going to go for just a, a simple asking of forgiveness and, uh, and then I'm done and that's all I need to hear and I don't need to deal with them anymore. Mm, I don't see God talking about that here. Because he talks about that root of bitterness that'll spring up. And many times people will forgive, but that little weed's still there and it grows. And they cultivate it. Now look, as part of the restoration process, there has to be, you know, the, the restoration of trust um, uh, involved in relationships. There has to be, you know, if somebody is a thief or a liar or an adulterer, those things, they, they all have to, you, you, you kind of have to begin to do those works of repentance that we see, that we saw over there in, uh, with uh, with Luke, but also that we see over in Ephesians chapter 4. We, we, we have to understand that concept. God wants us to engage in activity that is for the benefits of both people. And why is that? Because if you take a look down a little bit further here, um, in verse 18, he says, Verily I say unto you, whosoever ye shall, or whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall well be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, we gotta understand who this is talking to. And I say unto you, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done uh, for them of my Father which is in heaven. And interestingly enough, one of the things that, that that Christ is talking about in this passage is unity. Because there comes that verse, in verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. How many times have we heard that when it comes to church? Is the context here the church? No, the context is a disagreement, if you will, a sin between two people. 
And he's saying, look, if two or three are gathered together in my name. And this is where I want to really, 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 really emphasize. When the repentance and the reconciliation process gets going, it must be done in the name of Jesus Christ. It must be done in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what verse 20 is talking about. And if God is in the midst of them, then guess what? He can repair that relationship, which is exactly what he's talking about in verses 18 to 19. And some people go out there and they're like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and claim because I've got all this power. I'm going to claim that I can do this and I can move a mountain. I'm going to move Mount St. Helens. And no, just stop. That, no. That's not what God's called us to do. Because I guarantee you that some of those same people that do all of that, they have so many disagreements with so many brothers and sisters in Christ that they probably keep a hit list book. You know, the first people, if they ever go psycho, that they'd start scratching off. And that's not what God has asked us to do. He's asked us, according to the book of Ephesians, to endeavor to keep that bond. I mean, we got to work at it. we got to work at it. You know, you got two people coming together, and they agree that they need to make this relationship right, and they're doing it in the name of Christ, meaning... And I want to emphasize what I'm talking about in the name of Christ. In the name of Christ... Is what? Now, we can go a lot of lists, right? Prince of Peace, Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, right? If we go over there in Isaiah. Uh, we can talk about how he is called the Great Shepherd. He's called the Door. He's, uh, he's the Way. He's the Truth. He's the Life. I mean, he's got all these names that he's called. He's called the Light, specifically. What is he often referred to as in John, in the book of 1 John? The Word. If it is not done with the Word of God present, there's going to be a problem. What does the Word of God contain? The Word of God contains His will. His will can be summarized. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's interesting that he would say that. Why? He wants to be reconciled to his creation. We're the ones that went AWOL. We're the ones that went off uh, off uh, the reservation. We're the ones that are, are you know, out on our own and in, in dangerous territory. So we have to be very careful with that. And again, this is talking about to gather together in my name. It means they're gathering together for the purpose of restoring this. Purpose of restoring this. I've been in situations where people gathered together just to get back at the other person. And, and it was not done in the name of God. It was not done in the name of Jesus Christ. It was all about exacting what they wanted what they wanted out of it because they thought that they were entitled to whatever it was. You think God was in the middle of that? 
No. Why? Because everyone was being selfish. Everyone was being selfish. And as part of this reconciliation process, go over to the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians uh, uh, chapter um, chapter 6. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6 is great because it begins to lead us into uh, part of that next step when we start talking about this reconciliation process. I overshot that. Galatians chapter 6, and in verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And that happens a lot when it comes to the reconciliation process. It, I mean, you know, Paul, or excuse me, uh, John pointed out with the Pharisees, pride was entering in. And he said, there's a certain way you go about doing this. And, 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 and it's interesting to look that when we notice somebody is going through that repentance process, going through the corrective process, God has told us, if we notice this, we have a we have an obligation to do it the right way. And what does he say? Spirit of meekness. We have to be very, very, very careful. We have to make sure that we're at the back of the burner. So if somebody ever comes to you and says, I have sinned, and I've sinned against you, I want to make this right. Tell you a lot of times what happens is people will start bringing out the flaming hoops and the whole the three ring circus, and they'll say, "Well, if you can accomplish this and you can jump through that hoop and this hoop and that hoop and this hoop, and then you do this and then you go on the flying trapeze back and forth, and you can walk that tightrope without falling, then I might be able to start trusting." That's not how God says. God says if he sins against you seven times a day, how many times do you forgive him? Seven. Repeatedly sins against you, what do you do? You forgive him 70 times seven. So sometimes people get into this, this, this thought process and they make the situation worse and it causes a stumbling block for the person that's going through the corrective process. So this is why we have to be so spiritually discerning and acute and aware of who and what is going on around us. That we're not causing these problems. That we're helping somebody. We're actually bearing their burden for them. Yeah, it might be really stupid and dumb and hurtful and maybe the worst thing that they ever put you through. But it still doesn't compare to Jesus Christ taking on the weight of the entire sin of the world. They're saying this year we're going to hit 8 billion people on the face of the earth. 8 billion people, and they're all going to be congregated in at least 7 countries. Right, okay. <clears throat> Yet the world is overcrowded. Um, 
Could you imagine just taking on the worries of 8 billion people? How about a billion? How about a million? How about 10 people? We have a hard time taking on our own. And God says, look, I just want you to bear that burden. Now, here's the amazing thing about that. If it's done in the name of Christ, it's his burden. And his burden is what? Easy and slight. Right? So we have to get this understanding that we can make the process as difficult as we want. But as part of it, going back to the person that has committed this, uh, is going through the corrective process, they have to understand that there's certain things that they're going to have to accept. And we get down there for, uh, you know, down to a little bit further into this. Um, and he says in verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And sometimes Christians will come along and they'll go, Oh, praise God, I'm a Christian. All I have to do is say I'm sorry and everybody has to walk away, right? You just reaped some major corruption. You fragged somebody's living room. <laughs> you, 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 you destroyed their residence. You, you did something extremely egregious to God. We can't be so cavalier about the forgiveness that way. We have to understand. And somebody that uh, has uh, taken drugs their entire life, they get uh, they get uh, offered the gospel, the plan of salvation. They receive it, and they trust Christ as their Savior, and they're on their way to heaven, and uh, they have forgiveness of sins. Um, you know, th- that kind of person cannot be so cavalier with understanding that they may not escape the problem. Use certain drugs, you're going to wind up with certain health conditions. It's just going to happen. You reap in corruption. Um, you know, I dare say, and I, I would, I would, there'd be some, a lot of questions in this, but let's say some church going Christian decides they don't have enough money and they're going to go rob the local, you know, credit union and, uh, in the process of it, you know, take three or four rounds from the police. And they're sitting on there, oh God, heal me, heal me. I know you forgave me of it. Well, that doesn't mean that you're not going to reap something. Right. Now, again, the context of what he's talking about is verse 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So obviously, if we sow into the Spirit, we're going to reap, we're going to reap life everlasting. We're going to, we're going to reap some good stuff. The more good stuff you plant, the more good stuff you sow, the more good stuff is reaped. The world wants to say, well, if you, you know, nice guys finish last. Well, the nicest guy that I know, Jesus Christ, not to be disparaging or, you know, blasphemous in any way, he isn't finishing last, by the way. He finishes first. 
Everybody gets put down because of that. Well, you got to play dirty. No, you don't. No, you don't, because you'll reap something you don't want to. We get so tempted to do things in our own will in the process of restoration that, again, it, it, we forget that it is in his name. Is the process of restoration, is the process of what we are doing, is it for his glory? Does it lift his name up? Does it lift his word up? Who, who, who gets the glory out of it? And what we find here very specifically with this is, is, as he says here in, in, in this passage, and again, I want to emphasize, there are going to be consequences. Part of the restoration reconciliation process is understanding that, yeah, somebody may not trust you with your finances if you just rob them of a hundred million dollars. They may, they, they may not trust you. Teenager goes out, steals dad's car, wrecks it, totals it, comes back. Dad gets a new car. Says, Dad, can I take the key, can, can I, can I take the keys to the car and take the car out for a spin? There might be some legitimate hesitancy. That person can't go around demanding and saying, well, God said you need to forgive me completely. They have no right to do that because we would be deceiving ourselves. There's going to be a consequence. Rather than focusing on that, how about we were focused on restoring and building the trust? It's a communicative process. It's a communication that is necessary. Because as part of this, we have to seek that forgiveness. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that, Lord willing, next week. But uh, I'm actually going to cut it off uh, for right now. When we start talking about that issue of forgiveness. What people look at when they think about it. What they think about the word. What they think it means. And you take a look at the word give as its root of forgiveness. It's something that is being requested, but it's not being demanded. It's something that should be willingly given. If you have to go and demand forgiveness, there may be a problem. There may be a problem with what you're thinking forgiveness is. And we'll take a look at that, Lord willing, next week. We'll finish up here, uh, with that, uh, correction process and we're getting towards the end of this, uh, this study. But, uh, forgiveness is a big thing. I have books and books and books on my shelf about forgiveness. Why? Because it is one of the most primary important principles of the Word of God. Jesus Christ died so that we would have forgiveness of sins. It's that important. So when God asks us to forgive as he forgives in Ephesians 4, what does that mean? This is kind of the other side of that coin. This is the other side of a person that may have been uh, affected by sin. Because again, let's just be careful and, 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 and honest with ourselves. Sin does not just affect you. Never has, 
never will. It will spill into other people's lives, people that you don't intend it to. And it spills into there. Forgiveness has to be sought. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've given to us uh, tonight. Pray, Lord, that you just take us home safely. Bring us back uh, safely on Sunday. Again, Lord, I just thank you for all the, the blessings that we've received, above all the forgiveness of sins that we do have. Pray, Lord, that we would just continue to learn uh, uh, more about this process. That, Lord, we would be Christians that please you, honor you, do your will, bring glory to your name, and not be just another Christian that somebody says, ah, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. But, Lord, we would clearly exemplify what you are, who you are, and what you've done for us. And I pray these things in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.